What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Pre-Professional Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Kraft, along with host Colton Watering. Today, we have Eugene Landry on the pod. Um, Eugene is a former powerlifter. I say former due to some very unfortunate injuries to his bicep tendon. Um, I know there's some other injuries along the way. Um, but now he is not only still in the fitness scene, but he has uh, first-class fitness and motivation, which is his brand that he uses to coach um, powerlifters, strongmen, um, general health population. Um, he's qualified for the Team USA in two sports. Um, 14 state records um, for his clients um, and many years of experience in sports as well as weightlifting. In this podcast, Eugene has a lot of good things to say. Um, definitely a special one. It was kind of off the cuff. We had some time in between um, one of my podcasts with uh, Ian Mitchell. And then so we called up Eugene and he was ready to go. Um, so we really appreciate that. Um, if you're looking to get coaching, um, if you're looking to understand coaching a little bit more, this podcast is for you. Uh, Eugene has a lot of good things to say. Without further ado, Eugene Landry. All right, let's do it. Okay, yeah, so you started bu- set a bunch of state records. Uh, yeah, actually I had uh, it's probably, it was my third powerlifting meet. Um, first meet I did for fun, ended up winning. Uh, then I took a break off lifting for like six months. And I had a note. Of, then I got a message from a guy who was like, "Hey, are you going to nationals?" And I was like, "Don't really have a plan to go to Florida just to watch a competition." And he's like, "No, you're in it." And I was like, "Oh." He's like, "You want a state level meet, so you're a national level competitor." So I started lifting again. I had like six months to train. Uh, went to Florida. We ended up competing against the Ukraine as a Team USA. Um, I. I won bench press, set, placed third overall, um, hit top 5% of raw bench pressers in the United States there, and let's see, then after that I qualified for Team USA for Worlds on an even bigger stage. Um, I backed out of that to do an Arnold Classic qualifier, and at that qualifier is where I set three Indiana State records, and after that I got hit up for, uh, by Ryan for Haymaker. And that was actually all set in motion because he was wanting to start branching into like specialty coaching and strength was apparently the first thing he wanted to do. And Wong actually referred me because Wong and I went to school together and he was like, Hey, this is a guy. And Ryan Cordner, what they both said was Ryan told me he wanted somebody who lives and breathes the sport. And Wong said, this is a guy. So Ryan actually tricked me because <laughs> He was like, I was doing fundraisers with first class and blanket drives and all kinds of stuff. And he's like, hey, we got some stuff for you for your drive. He's like, come on out, pick it up. And then he, that's when he was like, hey, actually, while you're here, I want to talk to you about something. And that's where it all started. So uh, let's let's get into first class for a second. What, uh, okay. just kind of explain what it is, how you started it, when you started it. Like, because it's still going on. I mean... I know a little bit more than, than most people do just because we've been friends for a while, but you're yeah. kicking that back up. So yeah, kind of explain and go through the, the genesis of it. So it really all started because after I had started lifting weights, um, I got asked just to do some, some modeling, and I did print stuff, runway modeling, a few different things, and 
people were like, hey, just kept messaging me, like, what are you doing? How did you do this? Because, I mean, I was just a scrawny little kid. I weighed under 100 pounds till I was a junior in high school. And I think I weighed 100 pounds in fifth grade. <laughs> yeah, it's... And I was, I was always a small kid, and then I didn't even hit 5'8 until I was 25 years old. So I had a second puberty in my mid-20s, and I just started lifting weights and eating everything under the sun, so I got a little muscle. I just was getting random messages from people like, man, what do you do? I know what you used to look like. And so I was like, started out, I filled everything out to start a like page on Facebook, and it was just going to be just some tips, pointers for people. And I had everything completely filled out right before I submitted it. I was like, man, what if you did something else with this? And that's when I was like, all right, let's try to do something else. And I ended up doing, I, I paid a guy to give me, to create a logo. And I gave him a very bad sketch with stick figures on what I wanted it to look like. <laughs> and he drew it up, a man by the name of Daniel Tate. And he crushed it. And so I was, people were like, hey, man, you got a logo, and you're doing all this stuff. You're going to have a T-shirt. No? All right. Not a bad idea. So I had some T-shirts made up. And then we did a little photo shoot with the T-shirts. Had a bunch of people come out to um, the field at Warsaw. And we kind of jumped the fence and <laughs> did a bunch of stuff with, uh, like, a boot camp style, did photos. And then it just kept, I just kept it reinvesting in, okay, the money we made from this shirt let's do this one and then let's do throw out this line and it went from basic cotton shirts to I had athletic shirts pants um, hoodies for you could run headphones up on you know this is back in the days of wired headphones um, I had mugs that were sublimated with my logo in it I had um, I mean literally hats anything you could ever think of I had stuff printed up and I was shipping all across the country um military bases, I mean, places I had never even heard of in this in this country, and it just kept blowing up and up and up, and then I got a point where I was just so much into it, and I was coaching three days a week and doing personal training and all this on top of a 40-hour work week, and I finally just had to take a break from it for a while, so it's the first time in six years I've done anything with it, and that all started about a month ago when I left my job. What, uh, don't you have a tattooed? On your knuckles too, first class. Uh, I got it on my forearm. Or on your okay, okay. I thought you had the knuckles. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Knuckles so are done, but that's something else. Is this like a training program company, or is it just like you just do apparel? Like, what is your what is your first class thing? Yeah, so it initially was just apparel, and then I was doing some small boot camp style classes. I had a small gym and a pole barn across right next to the dog park right there by the airport and we were doing that putting out t-shirts and then I didn't I wasn't never had a plan to coach Ryan hit me up and I said man I don't know how to do this stuff I don't know how to program stuff like that and he was just like you'll, you'll figure it out I got you because I know I got faith in you and this is I met the dude one time and I was like man I was like I don't know I'll think about it I ended up hitting him back up. We did it. Stuff was doing going well. And then I quit coaching after I left um, Warsaw. And I, shut, I already shut down first class temporarily and shut down the clothing. I quit coaching. Um, I quit doing all of it. 
for years. And then I would get hit up every once in a while about, I mean, to this day, it's been six years and I was still getting messages like a month ago, six weeks ago, asking if I'm still going to make shirts. And there hasn't been a single post on my like page in six years. And so it's just, stuff's just been falling in line and I just, I just knew something was going to come up and I was just like, all right, I was like, I'm going to trust in, in God and what, it, what he tells me. Like, I know the signs. He's done it to me before. And I was like, when that sign comes, I said, you just got to run, go with it. And my coaching in the last four weeks has just doubled. And I was like, all right, man. So I was like, you got to do something again. So coaching blew up even more. Started my website, created that last week. Um, and then with that, I made, I ordered a couple of test prints on some shirts from some new companies since uh, I'm not using anyone local from, since I'm not in Warsaw anymore. And once those test prints come in, I'll see how they are. I'll put some feelers out, and I'll just same thing again. I'll just pre-order stuff, and people like it. I'll use that to create a stock, and just keep going from there. So it's been all over the place. It started out as just apparel, then I went to coaching, and then the coaching blew up, and now we're back here again with doing it all. Kind of a full, full 360 of what you had, and then kind of one way, then back at it again. That's awesome. Um, so obviously. You're a very accomplished uh, power lifter. Let's let's go into your career a little bit. Kind of, I know you had a roller coaster of of a career with injuries and what, how many near death experiences and, and everything like that. So if you don't mind, you want to dive into that for a little bit. Oh, that's fine. Um, so I mean, I guess it really all started out when I was first started lifting. Uh, never touched weights until I was about 19. Even in gym class, I'd sit on a machine until our coach would come around, and then I'd act like I was doing something. That's how much I hated it. Uh, trained about a year. That's when the whole uh, modeling thing happened, and you just kept training. And then I had an old guy come up to me at my gym in Fort Wayne, and grumpy old dude, looked like Santa Claus, and never said a word to anybody, and he just comes up to me. He's like, I heard you got a good bench press. It's okay. <laughs> He's like, what do you what do you bench? And I was within like 10 pounds of double body weight. And he's like, you, he's like, the day you hit double body weight bench, he goes, I'm going to take you to competitions and I'm going to fill your house with trophies. And I laughed. And he stone cold was like, what's so funny? And he's like, <laughs> I was like, all right. And that's when he's like, hey, if you do that, you're top 5% of bench presses in the entire country. And so he put the bug in me to compete, and he ended up passing away before he ever got to see me compete. Um, so he was the reason I ever even got into it. And then it's just, I was probably, as far as near-death stuff, I think I was 20 the first time I had a heart attack. Um, back in the day, you know, there was a lot less regulation on supplementation, and I took what was supposed to be an over-the-counter testosterone booster, and it, they actually had a class action lawsuit against them because it turned out it was, they lied on their label and it was a pro-hormone. So it ended up causing my first heart attack. And then after I found out, I had all these other tests done years later, then we found out I have, a, I have an arrhythmia. On top of that, I was born with a, uh, my left ventricle prolapses, so it doesn't close correctly. And I never even knew that. Um, so like when I was playing soccer, and that was one thing that I, I got asked to compete on a world level, too, with soccer and uh, through a sports aid program, and never nothing was ever brought up. 
through any physicals or anything. Um, so I had all these other health, underlying health issues. Plus, I've got a restrictive lung disease. Um, you probably see I'm having to catch my breath talking. <laughs> so, like, I can't walk and talk on the phone at the same time. It'll make me want to pass out. I lose out oxygen so much. Um, so all that stuff has just kept going. Um, and then as far as when I got back into competing a couple of years ago, I tore my groin probably three years ago. Um, last May, I tore my pec at the tendinous musculus junction, um, 2.79 inches. And then six months later, I was back to benching over 300 again. November, I tore my hamstring. And then this May, this May, I completely detached my bicep and it came back up into the arm. Um, that video so, was nasty. <laughs> so it's, it's worse watching the video than having it actually happen because right. it didn't hurt. Like, I, as soon as it happened, I knew it. It, it. it sounded like Rice Krispies. And the best description is like when it's popping off the bone is like somebody cutting guitar strings. But, yeah, as far as the last year and health stuff, I mean, it's all just, it all kind of blurs together after a certain point, because so much has happened, and it's just... Now, with all your injuries, um, I know a lot of people have, like, injuries that deter them from doing anything. Now, do you see yourself being stopped from ever competing again, or is there still, like, an itch, like, deep down that makes you want to compete sometime again? That's a good question. Um... I'd like to say I'd never compete again. <laughs> uh, I had actually, I had actually d said I was retired after I tore my pack, and I was like, I'm done. And I was like, I just, I was like, I've just been getting hurt too much. And so my last two injuries were after I had been retired, and it was kind of freak accident stuff. Hamstring tore, just doing pretty much nothing. Um, and then as far as the bicep, it was my third time deadlifting in a year since I had quit competing and it didn't it was just one of those things where my arms were fatigued from hammering all my other bodybuilding workouts through the week and just one fault in my technique and that was it perfect storm came too um, but I've got that that mentality to compete and be driven just never goes away no matter what so if I'm not being driven in one thing I gotta find something else to push me and I think that's part of the reason also I got kind of leaned back into first class is because it gives me something to work towards. Um, otherwise, when you compete, especially on any kind of high level, that drive never goes away. It's so ingrained in who you are as a person. Um, if you're not in a career that's driving you, like I was in sales, I mean, it's like, okay, what's next, what's next, what's next? Like, how can I push that envelope, break my records that way? I was pretty content with not competing. Now that I'm not doing anything like that, it's it started to drive me nuts sitting at home. <laughs> I completely get that. Um, so never say never. Yeah. Now, when you with the first class, you do a lot of like you say you do programming and stuff like that. Do you program solely powerlifting? Is like that? Like obviously your coaching expertise because that's what you've been in. But like, say somebody came up to you and they were like, "I want to do bodybuilding competition." or I want to get into weightlifting, would you take a client like that on, or are you pretty much like a one vein, and that's powerlifting? 
So I've coached everything from kids getting ready for standard sports tryouts. Um, I've got those who do bodybuilding style workouts. Um, I won't get any, I won't do any like diet nutrition stuff for bodybuilders or anything like that. I've got, I got some uh, friends who I re refer out to stuff like that. Uh, who do actual nutrition programming and who have familiarity with that stuff. But I, I program anything from obstacle course races, strongman. Um, I do handle ollie lifters, but only as supplemental strength programming for it. I don't actually program the ollie lifts. Um, powerlifting, of course, but it's probably only 40% of my clientele is actually powerlifters who actually compete. The rest is more of like a general health and wellness or just wanting to get into healthier lifestyle stuff. Okay. Now, if you were to say, like, how many clients do you have at, like, any given time? Well, I was keeping it under a dozen at a time when I was working full time. Um, right now, I don't really have a necessary cap on it. It really kind of depends because since I've switched almost solely to online only, it's a lot easier to handle. So they can send me their videos of their top sets and then I can look at them every few days and then I can send them back their critiques on what they need to tweak and everything. So when it's like that, it, the, the one I gotta spend the most time on is new clientele because I have to change and fix a lot of stuff. So if somebody's been with me for a good four to six weeks, then I don't have to spend near as much time with it simply because they're familiar with what I'm expecting and what they need to be doing. It's those new people, especially someone who's never touched a weight. Like, I've got a couple of nurses that I handle who they just need to get stronger core and back because you're having to turn over sometimes some big people. And they're getting hurt all the time because yeah. maybe the room doesn't have the correct stuff to help them do or do the work and pull someone over. So, I mean, the longer someone's been with me, the less I have to be with them day to day. So you talked about when you were younger, you were kind of like a stick, a super uh, like scrawny kid, and then now you're well, Indiana State Records and everything like that. I'm not taking anything away from you because I don't think, like, some people can be naturally gifted at things. Other people just work very, very hard. To me, like, you've worked your butt off every single day to get where you're at. So is that something where you can tell people listening, be like, dude, I was a scrawny kid. Like, you just have to put in the work. Or is it something where it's like, oh, no, like you have to be gifted to achieve what I've achieved? Oh, I'm not gifted in anything. Right, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I come from, like I said, the bodybuilding background before I got into powerlifting. And the hardest thing with that, it's not the training, it's not the sleep, it's the eating. So I remember I was eating seven meals a day. Um, I'd wake up, I'd only sleep five, six hours a night and I'd take a nap in the afternoon. But like in the middle of that five, six hours, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, eat a full meal, go back to bed, wake up two and a half, three hours later. I mean, half a dozen eggs with a whole skillet of hash browns. Sometimes you're eating 10 whole eggs a day. I was eating three pounds of meat a day on top of that, um, those eggs. And I just, if, if you're not gaining weight or muscle, you're just not eating enough. It's as simple as that. So when I got these kids and young clientele who were built like I was, and they're like, man, I'm eating enough. And I'm like, are you gaining weight? No. Okay, then you're not eating enough. Well, I feel sick. Well, you just got to keep pushing it. Like, 
guys wouldn't sit with me at lunch when I worked in the factories because I'd look like I was going to vomit because I was forcing myself to keep eating. But that's what it takes. It doesn't matter if it's 10 meals a day. If that's what you got to do to grow, that's what you got to do. And it sucks because that's your body type, but you can't make any excuse for it. If you're doing everything else right, there's only one thing, you know. It's like a stool. You can't, you can't stand on a stool with two legs. <laughs> now, there's a lot of... I, I kind of get into this just because of, like, where I come from in terms of, like, where I started. Um, a lot of bo- I started in a lot of bodybuilding, then moved to powerlifting, and then moved to weightlifting. And when you're in weightlifting, um, I feel like steroids and gear kind of gets out of the picture, as not as much as it was, like, bodybuilding and powerlifting. But have you experienced that a lot with, like, clients that want to take shortcuts or even, like, the temptation yourself to take performance enhancers? Um I guess it's more of like a broad question. Like, is that like a big like stumbling block for a lot of clients for you or even yourself? Or has it been something that you've kind of seen and then just dealt with and it's been gone? No, um, it's everywhere. I mean, I don't care what sport you're in. I mean, you see it in the news all the time. And the most people who actually take it are those who do, who just lift recreationally. Like, but the thing with powerlifting is, you got specific categories. You have untested and tested competitions. And it's like, it doesn't matter whether you've done it once or 20 times. If you've done it, you've done it. You're no longer a national athlete, even if you did something one single time. It's completely altered everything in your body. And I've got athletes who do come to me asking about it, and I don't. If an athlete wants to do something but they've never done something, then I won't do it. I'm just a, no. There's you know, especially when you sit down and evaluate the, what they're doing in their other types of training. It's like if your diet's dialed in and your sleep's dialed in and your training's dialed in, it's going to take forever until you actually hit like a true max progression that you can naturally. Now, there are guys who come to me who do take stuff, and if they're coming to me already doing stuff, that's one thing, but you got to be smart about it. You can't just say, oh, hey, I read this on Reddit. This is what this pro took. Well, yeah, but those guys also didn't start doing stuff like that. Um, And as far you know, I competed untested. Um, I, you know, I started out with unknowingly having taken a pro hormone. And because, like I said, they lagged on the label. So as far as I was concerned, especially day one, I'm already at an advantage over someone who never done anything, whether I wanted it to start that way or not. Yeah. Um, now, in those federations, you can also not take something for six months or so. And as long as you pass a drug test, you can compete against untested again. And that's where you get a lot of people get mad with each other because they're like, well, if you went and you just did stuff for three, five years... Then you come back, you're only six months clean. Like, that's still an advantage whether you pass the test or not. Now, I feel like it's one of those things, like, a lot of people consider um, taking gear cheating. Now, I, I don't know if I completely agree with that, especially if you're open about it and you compete untested with people that are knowingly mm-hmm. also taking gear. What's your philosophy on that? So, like, obviously, it's pretty much cut and dry. You're cheating if you say you're not taking gear and you are. But the people that do take gear, they're in their this whole level of their own, would you look down on somebody that is test like taking gear and saying it? I don't care. Um, 
my big thing is if you're going to do it, somebody asks you, own it. That's it. Um, if you're ashamed to admit it, why are you even doing it? That's my thing. Um, as far as cheating, no, because, you know, just because you look at somebody like, prime example, Barry Bonds, <laughs> the man didn't just take a bunch of stuff and all of a sudden that's got where he was, breaking records, that man got to where he was because he busted his ass whether he was taking something or not. You can't just take stuff and expect it to work for itself. Um, if anything, you need to work harder while you're on it to utilize it, get the most yeah. out of everything. Um, and not, a lot of the times nowadays, especially there's a lot, especially with all the stuff they put in our foods and everything. A lot of guys in their early twenties I meet who go and get testosterone levels checked, and they're at a level that somebody in their sixties is supposed to be at. So they can just go into a doctor and get prescribed for therapy. It's not that hard anymore. There's online services that offer that kind of stuff. It's just, but you. You know, you're actually getting your levels checked, and it's like you actually need this stuff. And then they're not getting, they're, they limit the amount of stuff that they're going to give you in a prescription. So it's not like you can go in and just blast stuff and throw on 15, 20 pounds in a few months of body weight. Like, it's to actually be healthy about it. And as long as you're being, getting it right and getting your levels to what's supposed to be normal for your age group, you're going to notice just plenty of results based off that alone because you're already at a disadvantage if your levels are going to be dropped. I mean, it's ridiculous. Some of the stuff, some of the tests I've read from guys who give them to me, and I'm just like, that's not right. Like, it causes depression. You're not going to be able to sleep at night. Just all kinds of stuff comes from low testosterone levels. And a lot of it just comes down to the stuff we've been putting in our body for years, too. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, I was uh, talking to, well, you probably know who he is. You know Steve Gentelli? Yeah, I used to go to his gym down here for while I was still competing. Okay. Yeah, I was talking to him about, like, his whole life situation with his kidneys and whatnot, and he said he got tested, and his levels, he said his test was at 20. I don't know what they what they measure it in, but usually you're supposed to be around, like, 900 to 1,000 if you're in, like, normal levels. So it really varies because when they created that scale, they went from, like, zero to anywhere from, like, 900, 1,000 or so. And But the scale they use is from, like, kids all the way up to, like, people in their 80s. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's such a broad spectrum. The only way to truly know, like, what you're supposed to be at is if you had your levels consistently checked since you were early. So, like, say you're 18 and you start having your levels checked and say you're at 1,000. Then when you get to 25, you check it again, and then you're down to, like, 400. Something's going on. And, yeah, your levels have dropped. But, like, say you're naturally supposed to be at 600 and you just keep testing 600 through your 20s, that's just your natural test level then. So there's that's why stuff like, if you ever watch the documentary Bigger, Stronger, Faster, they talk about steroid use in sports in America and how it came to be what it is now. You can go in and, like, you have a lot of these, like, health and hormone and anti-aging doctors and... The FDA doesn't have any restrictions on what it takes for somebody to get, get prescribed some of this stuff because they don't have a true basis like for, some, for hormone levels. You can go in and a doctor be like, well, i like to see these a little higher. Then they can just write you a script for some stuff just because they say this is what I like to see. And you can go to a doctor literally a block over who has a completely different view on it and say they won't prescribe you anything because they think you're in the norm. 
it's just so much variance in it, and they're not going to put anything on it. And they'll never, they will never run true case studies, government funded, on that stuff because then it's, they make it, steroids are illegal. So they're not going to ever do those kinds of things. Um, same thing when it comes to like testosterone, you'll never see true major case studies on that stuff. So, um, do you see powerlifting changing in a direction that it's moving? Like, do you think something with steroids are going to change, training styles, anything like that? Do you see a shift in the way people approach powerlifting now like they did 20 years ago? Well, it's changed a lot since I started. I mean, my first meet was 2015 uh, on a, a sanctioned level, and seven years it's gotten ridiculously different. Um, the kind of numbers I was putting up back then were really good. And nowadays it's like it's considered par, <laughs> subpar. Like it's just, it's just gotten wild. I mean, when I was a kid, you had to go to certain places to be able to see certain numbers get hit. Now with social media, the biggest thing I run into with athletes is they, they see everything that all these guys are doing on social media. And they're like, oh man, this... This kid hit a 700-pound deadlift. He weighs 165 pounds. It's like, yeah, that is a freak. That is a phenom. You're not going to see that when you go to these state-level meets. You go to some of these national meets, you won't even see stuff like that. Um, you, most things you're going to see, like if you see a 220-pound guy, if he puts up a mid-400-pound squat, say a low 300-pound bench, and he can pull 500 pounds, he's doing pretty good in his weight class. Like that's the kind of stuff you're going to see. Not some kid that's 165 pounds that's going to be deadlifting 700 pounds, squatting six. Like You just don't see that stuff on a regular basis. Um, and the sport has blown up and grown so much, and it's because of social media. And the direction it's going, the training styles just change constantly. Um, you'll see a lot of people are like, like I'm a big fan of just linear progression, um, simple overloads. Then you'll see stuff to where I don't know why people are hitting near max numbers multiple times a week, but they don't stay in the sport very long for a reason. Um, they get too beat up, bodies get broken. But powerlifting is just going bigger and bigger, and the athletes are getting bigger and bigger. Um, and it's getting more dangerous for them because they see these people who are top-tier national world levels going to break records and doing cuts to get into weight classes to break records. If you're not competing on that level, you shouldn't ever worry about cutting weight, whether it's two pounds, five pounds. Like you, you should just go in and compete what you weigh in at. It's the healthiest you're ever going to be. Um, I don't let my athletes cut weight unless they're – excuse me, I got one guy who we do weight cuts for, but he's also you know 500 right at that 500 dot mark. And, I mean, heck, at 236 pounds, he just had a local meet for fun. And he deadlifted 780. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a 780 deadlifter. He benches low fours and he, uh, and he squats over six. And he's, he competes in sleeves and he's a 100% natural athlete. Like he gets drug tested regularly. His bench and dead are more than my tall. <laughs> yeah, that's actually kind of crazy. It, it's one of those things. There's a couple of questions going through my head, but I'll start with. You mentioned social media and seeing the sport grow and all these things are changing. Do you think that that brings some sort of a mental block to certain competitors or people that want to compete? Like, 
these people are in my weight class with these kind of numbers. Like, obviously, they're freaks of nature. But do you think that stops people from wanting to compete because they'll never be like that? We're like, All if the I time. don't get to this level, then I'm, what, like, what am I even doing here? What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for those who come to me about competing, that is a, every single one comes to me with that mentality. And... So what I have to do is I have to go in and you can go to openpowerlifting.com. You can search every meet, every person who's ever competed sanctioned ever. Like they go back into like the seventies. They had people sending them the old powerlifting USA magazines that had test results, that had results from competitions and they loaded them up. So, I mean, it is the largest catalog of competitions ever recorded. So you just go in and you show them, Hey, look, here's this meet. These look at the numbers. Like, Social media lies to you. Like you really think some this person is like making that kind of money, owns that car, does all this. Like same thing comes to the weightlifting. A lot of people find out they have either fake plates or this guy never actually competed before in his life. It's like it's not hard to find if somebody's being truthful anymore. And that is the biggest thing is they're like, Man, I'm nowhere near these numbers. And it's like, well look, you go to some of these meets, you're not gonna see that stuff. It's just not around. Um, or if you do go to these meets and you have something like that, like you're really not going to be that far off from that kind of thing. And your first couple meets should always just have that mentality of I'm here to have fun. Like make it an experience. And then after you get your foot in the door and you get a better base, you really see is this something I want to do. The best thing you can ever do is just go to a meet and watch. See how it's handled. Watch the competitors. And you'll see that just watching half a dozen of them, the different mentalities, they can have six different mentalities. You'll see some people freaking out and just pacing in between waiting for their next lift. Um, I'm the one, I've done it long enough. After I finish my squats, I always have a big KFC famous bowl with extra chicken and gravy. I'll eat the whole thing and I'll go take a nap and someone will wake me up when it's time to bench press. <laughs> it's just, you, you hit it all and that's the downside with social media because when I... When I started lifting, there wasn't an Instagram. Um, Facebook, you still had to have an educational email to log in and stuff like that. So it's grown it and it scares people because they do see that stuff all the time. And it's just like, you just got to sit them down and be like, you're, you're not going to see that stuff until you get on these high levels. And those people who do that stuff, if they're smart about it, they only compete one to two times a year because it so, does such a wreck on your body. So for a sport that's all about, like if you're competing, the sport's all about comparison. How much can I lift compared to how much can you lift? Because I want to win. How do you approach that mentality with your athletes who do compete, who are stuck in the comparison? Because I know like we just kind of talked about it a little bit, but like are there ways you try to help your athletes relax or be like, hey, this is, this is what you do when you're freaking out or things like that? Biggest thing is just making sure everybody's confident in their abilities and when I take on a new client, the big, first thing I do is we just drill, 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 and hammer, hammer, hammer our technique. So it just becomes second nature. So, I mean, you can ask Ryan. When I used to train there at Haymaker, I'd hit like a set of six on my squats, and I'd have him watch it, and I'd record it, and I'd be like, hey, let me know what you think. I'd get done, and he'd be like, no, they look good. And I'd be like, no. On rep two, four, and five, I'll be like, I unhinged my knees before I unhinged my hips. That's why I came. my hips came forward in my squat instead of sitting back and loading my hamstrings. And then we'll look at the video, and he'll be like, oh, wow. But with, I didn't have to think about it during my set. 
just because I, you know those motions, you know those grooves. You just got to get confident in your own abilities and think, hey, I'm here to beat me. And if I happen to beat other people, awesome. Cool, I get a trophy, a medal. Um, so, you know, some of these things now, guys are winning four or $500 power bars. Um, there's just all kinds of stuff to come into it. And it's not a sport you're going to make money in. It's a sport where you pay to beat yourself up. So it's that is the biggest thing. It's powerlifting, powerlifting logo right there. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all. It's definitely all like that. I mean, that's why I'm a very injury prone individual. So once I heard that you were injury prone, I was like, sweet. It's not. It's not just me. Um, do you think that out of all the sports, powerlifting is one of the most injury prone things? And if so, like, do you tell people that getting into it and is there any way you combat it? Other than programming, not having them hit max effort weights all the time. Well, if something's going to happen, it's just going to happen. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. Um, like when I tore my back, there was nothing I could have done about it. I was perfectly fine. I had no nagging and nothing leading up to it. It was just the supports on for the face savers got set one notch too high. So when the bar came down, it didn't even touch my chest. It ended up knocking the rack and it, the bar bounced and I felt it go and just felt three pops and that was it. There's nothing I could have done about it. So sometimes stuff just happens. Um, and the biggest reason people get hurt is just pushing themselves or doing stupid stuff, going off programming. Um, I give athletes one. They go off my program one time. I'll let that one slide. After that, I'll, nine times out of ten, I'll, I'll tell them we're done. I'm done coaching them. I'm not here to handle somebody who's not going to listen to me and pay attention. Um, it's, and I, you know, I, I supply, I kind of have like a list of my own coaching commandments I give athletes, and it's guidelines to follow with warm-ups and how they do their sets and stuff like that. Um, and I make sure everybody has a, a good warm-up and they're doing their stretching and stuff like that because that was my biggest mistake is I lifted my first eight years of training without stretching a single time. So as long as you're doing your normal stuff, you're going to be fine. But a lot of it just comes down to people making stupid mistakes and that one-off, hey, whatever's going to happen, it just happens. There's just nothing you could ever do about it. And that's kind of what it is with anything in life, though. It's you're driving your car and some someone pulls out type thing. It's just things in life happen that aren't good. Yeah. So I'm a real, I love programming. I think it's sweet. And you mentioned that you're really big on linear programming, which is, I, I, in my opinion, it's one of like the most safe ways to program. When you get into powerlifting, you run into a lot of issues. You got a west side barbell and you got the conjugate method and then you got 531 and all these different methods that people train. And when you're doing conjugate, people are like, well, how much weight do you have on the bar? You're like, well... It was 500 pounds for deadlift, but then with this band, it was like an extra 90 pounds of tension and then chains and all that stuff. And you run to all these different like methods. Do you see a benefit in all the methods or would you say that some of it just becomes additive and people do it for show opposed to like actually making it a benefit? Well, I think to know if anything's going to work for somebody you got to give it a really good time frame to see if anything's happening. Like, I'm a big fan of like something like six months. Um, I've known guys who have been coached by guys who attended or who were you know 
worked through, sponsored by Elite FTS and Westside, and they just didn't get much out of conjugate training. Um, then I got a friend, uh, my buddy Dustin. Um, he just set the Masters 35 to 39 world all-time world record at 148 pounds. He just squatted 611 in reps. Um, yeah, and he pulls over 600 too. And he does he does a style of conjugate, and it works amazingly well for him. I've seen him progress so much, um, you know. And then it's just you got it. Just comes down to how the individual is built and how their body responds. You got to try all that stuff out. So I don't like programming a lot of that stuff. I don't use a lot of bands. I don't really touch chains. I'm more a fan of like board presses and rack pulls, block pulls, deficits, stuff like that. Um, and if my style of coaching and I've adapted and changed stuff and tried to work with an athlete and we're just still not seeing some stuff, um, then, you know, we'll sit down, we'll have a talk and I'll say, Hey, I, I might be at my wits end. I know somebody who I think would work, be a better fit for you. And here they are. Um, and I, I tell that to everybody when they sign up, I'm like, Hey, if for some reason you're not feeling this is working, just tell me, I'm not going to be mad about it. Like how it's not often somebody's lucky and their first coach is the one that's going to be the right fit. Um, I was lucky enough when I was competing and I finally took on a coach that I had a great fit from the start. Um, and if I ever got back into doing it again, I hit him up again and he'd be my first choice. It's just taking the time. And that's, I think another thing a lot of people don't like to do is take that time. They want with social media again, they want instant gratification they want to see those numbers jump. They want to be like, I'm going to add 50, 75 pounds to my bench press this year. It's like, unless you're f- brand new in a gym, you're not going to get those kind of numbers. And those guys who do get those results, usually you don't see them stick around long again. So it's like, I would rather add 10 pounds to a lift over five years and get my 50 pounds and still be healthy and still be in a sport than just get 50 pounds in my first year and then I only compete for two, and then I'm hurt, and I can't ever do something again. I'm glad you mentioned that you have your own coach, because a lot of times people are like, oh, like, Eugene, you're very smart. You program for people. Just program for yourself. And it's like, well, it's not as easy as it sounds. Zach and I have had multiple conversations about, like, programming for yourself as compared to, like, having someone else program for you. We've always found it, like, I personally found it easier to work out or do workouts or exercise programs that someone else gives me as compared Mm -hmm. to what I write for myself. And obviously, is that the same way for you then? Because, I mean, that's, I imagine that's why you have your coach. Yeah. Um, now, I, I, yeah, I say I don't have a coach anymore. Once I stopped competing um, with my bodybuilding stuff, I do my own thing. Um, but it's it comes down to that because when I was trying to program myself, I ended up, I was constantly second-guessing everything I wrote. And it was like, well, I don't know about that. I'll change that today. And then... I change this, and the next thing you know, you don't have any consistency in your programming, and you're constantly thinking about it. When, if I'm just given my program, I can sit here, I can go, and it's like I'm clocking in. Okay, this is what I have to do today. You just go, you do it, you clock out, you go home, you do everything else. Um, I had I had the faith and the trust in my coach, so I didn't have to question anything. And if I had a question, it was because I wanted to learn. Why am I doing this? What's the benefit of this? Well, I've seen people do this instead of this. Why aren't we doing that? And it's all to learn. Like, I got no problem when someone asks me, why aren't we doing something? Or why do we choose this? 
I'm here to coach you. I'm here to educate you. I want you to learn just as much. So I'm not here just to be an order giver. Do this because I said so. Like, if you can't explain something, I've always been a firm believer, if you can't explain something simply enough for like a third grader to understand, you simply don't understand, understand it well enough. Now, so I got a buddy who really struggles on the bench. If you were to give tips on, so obviously if you have a coach and they're doing something, don't listen to this because listen to what your coach says. But if you were to give a tip on bench, squat, and dead, say you're getting like super stuck. I mean, I got a buddy, he competes 83s, he squats 545, he deadlifts almost six. And he benches like two seventy. Yeah, and it's not like he's he's small. In I mean, he's he's a pretty stout dude. What do you think would be an issue for him? Um, I mean, really, you'd have to see footage of it to see what's really going wrong. Um, a lot of the times, especially if somebody has a, what I've seen lately is a lot of people if they have a, usually are good at two out of three. It's rare to have an athlete who's good three for three. But that is, I mean, having a bench that low compared to everything else, that's a pretty big deficit. Um, a lot of the times it comes down to just not having enough muscle. I mean, yeah. you can have all the arch in the world, but that only takes you so far if you don't have the muscle to get through a movement. Um, if I had to guess just without seeing any form or technique, that's probably the biggest thing is either not enough muscle or you can have too much arch in your bench press. And then you're taking your chest out of it completely. Um, I mean, really, without seeing anything, you can't really say too much. But the biggest thing I run into is guys who just don't have the muscle to push some weights. And I said, you get so far, but unless you've got that base, you're just not going to get anywhere. Throughout your career, have you seen anyone bench press with a supinated grip? I was listening to a podcast. Uh, it was a while ago, and he, he competes powerlifting. And he bench presses with the supinated grip. And I thought that was very interesting. Because he was like, most people do not do this. It's not safe. It's not like it's not good. Do not do this, but it works for me. So that's why I do it. It's banned in a lot of federations because of the safety. Um, I used to do it. Um, not as in a competition, but I did it as an accessory, when I, especially when I was bodybuilding. One, not only because of the tricep growth you get from it, but it also just hammers that upper chest. Um and I got to a point where I was within 30 pounds of my normal bench press weight doing it. Um, but it's not for everybody. I mean, it's, it's hell on your shoulders. Um, anything over like a plate, you definitely need someone to lift you off. Uh, I've only been at one meet that had it legal and where I saw a guy do it. And he was pushing over 400 pounds doing it. So, I mean, it's... It, you can, but majority of federations nowadays don't allow it just for a simple safety reason, and they have their own set standards on what a movement has to require. And we keep talking numbers at the very beginning. We talked about your state records, and but I don't think we, we said what your numbers were. So what what, were, what did you total, and what were you, what individual lifts big three? So that meet, I competed wrapped, and I had a... 15-10 total. Um, I had a 534... Hmm? 
what weight class? Uh, I competed at 198, and I weighed in at 189. Okay. Uh, so I did a 534 squat, uh, 374 bench, and I pulled 600. Um, that's my best in a meet. Uh, my best outside of a meet. I did 500-pound naked knee squat. Um, no wraps, no sleeves, nothing. I benched 390 outside of a meet. And about 600, my best pull, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And all That's that was right at that 180. I never, I don't think I ever weighed over 189 in a single competition. When I did nationals at 198, I weighed 182, and I still benched 369. That's so nuts to me. I couldn't imagine having that much weight on the bar in terms of bench press. Uh, I mean, my first ever bench, like, t- I mean... Deadlift was always a good lift for me. The first time I ever deadlifted and maxed out, I pulled 425. It was just, it was just what it was. Deadlift was good for me. Bench, first time I ever bench pressed, I benched 135. That was it. Um, now squat, first thing I best, I started out with a 95 pound squat. And that's the one I'm, yeah, that's the one I'm most proud of. Simply because I had a lot of issues from soccer and running and distance and all that to where I have virtually no cartilage in my knees so it was very painful until I learned how to squat so going from a 95 pound squat to a 500 pound naked knee squat to me was worth more than going from a 425 pound pole to a 600 pole um, so yeah I mean that, that's what I hit and at my numbers or at my weights so I never weighed over 189 pounds in a single competition that's so nuts. Um, as a coach, do you ever see, like, well, I guess it's more of a preference for you. Now, I know with a lot of bodybuilders, um, a lot of the ones I've met, typically they don't have an in-depth knowledge of why they're doing what they're doing. Um, would you, as a coach, appreciate somebody who's more unknowing of what they're doing in your coaching so they just kind of, like, take it and absorb it? Or would you appreciate somebody that has a background knowledge of, like, maybe a better knowledge of anatomy or a better knowledge of strength training, what does what, how it does it. Um, do you, I guess the question would be like, do you have a preference on who you would train between those two types of individuals? Um, you know, I do turn away athletes um, simply because if I've like monitored their social media and I see how their mentality is, it will talk, you know, I'll have a little one-on-one before any coaching ever happens to get a feel for them. And if I'm not feeling it, I don't sell them. So, um, I won't be a dick about it, but you got to be upfront. If I don't think it's going to mesh, it's not going to mesh. Um, as far as how they come into it, it all comes down to how their mentality is. If somebody's got a, you know, a good knowledge base, that's fine. Um, I generally will get less questions and, you also have the other side of that coin to where if somebody does have a former knowledge base, then they're simply going to want to question everything you do. Um, but with that, it's like, if you're going to question me just to question me, why are we even here? If you think you know better, why are we here? Um, and if I get somebody who's you know a complete greenhorn and they have no familiarity with anything, that's fine too. It's you know it's I don't have to deprogram somebody's lift. Now, somebody's come to me and they've trained for 10 years squatting a certain way, it is 
it can't be really difficult to get somebody to break that and go and switch and tell them you can't squat anything like you were before. Then I get somebody fresh and I'm just like, cool, turn your feet this way. Take a half a step out, do this. Like, sometimes it is easier. It, it, it's a toss of the coin, it just depends on their mentality, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because if they're open to a change and learning something else, great, I'll take it. Either way. So, what has been the biggest life lesson takeaway that you that you've had over your career? Whether it's competing, coaching, it can be geared towards athletes, geared towards just anyone living life. Like, what has been that that biggest takeaway that you've had? Um, it's I'd say biggest one is just you just can't stop no matter what. Um, whether it's after an injury, after it's maybe programming isn't going correctly for someone and you got to change stuff up, you can't just throw in the towel. Um, you just got to keep going, whether it's learning something new, coming back from an injury. It all just comes down to you just, you just can't have quit. It's as simple as that. Um, you wouldn't get anywhere with anything. Um, whether it's your life outside of the gym or in the gym, and your gym takes up such a small part of your life. As a competitor, too, it's like if you're going to give up when you're say you're training for 90 minutes a day, you're probably going to give up on a lot of other stuff in your life too. So as long as you can have that no quit attitude in anything, you're just you're going to make it whatever you want to do. Uh, you just can't have no for an answer. It's all it's always simple to get punched in the face that first time until that that first bathroom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, I see it a lot, man. I've seen guys who are like, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to be here, 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 and by year two, three, five, and then they have, they, maybe they pull a muscle or you have just a super minor tear or you start getting issues with your shoulder, and then they're like, ah, oh, I'm done. That sport beat me up too much. Like, no one ever, nothing, especially of all sports, is this powerlifting ever going to be easy. What do you expect? You're putting hundreds of pounds on your back, over your head. Like, it's nothing that is ever going to be easy about the sport besides leaving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like See, and I feel kind of terrible about myself because I was a real like for the longest time was if I feel pain, I'm done and I'm I'm done with that lift. I stopped deadlifting. I stopped squatting. I was a real bum. I, I've gotten past that since, but I definitely think that no quit, um, head down, eyes up, grit attitude is huge. But I also believe that like having a knowledge base is also a big deal. Um, not a knowledge base to the point where it's like, I know more than you, but like, a, I guess a willingness to learn. And so if you, like, obviously you program and you're, you're probably constantly learning and trying to push the envelope on what you know what would be some resources that you would give other individuals in terms of growing their knowledge, whether it's powerlifting, bodybuilding, weightlifting, CrossFit, whatever sport you're into, um, what resources would you give and like what styles would you go about getting those resources? Well, the biggest one is find someone that you respect enough and want to learn from. Um, outside, and that's the best thing you're going to do is have someone to shadow to learn from. Um, that you can actually go through and ask all these kinds of questions about. Uh, as far as resource materials, um, I know I had sent Colton some a while back. Um, Starting Strength by Mark Ripito is a really good one. 
Um, you can usually pick it up on Amazon for like $30 or something. Um, the first 75 pages cover squats, if that tells you anything. <laughs> um, then there's a couple new ones from uh, Chad Wesley Smith from Juggernaut. Um, he put out a couple of good books. I've got a fr actually a friend of mine who's working to get into coaching. I've got him borrowing one of them. Um, they, he's got a couple out. One that's really good on just covering physiology and basics of programming, I guess, and a lot of other stuff. And then he actually has a textbook that is how to program for certain types of athletes, too. The cool thing with his books is he has video, many video series for free on YouTube that go over the chapters with you, too. So while you're going through and doing your study and taking your notes, you can go back over and watch the YouTube videos where he breaks it down himself on how everything's supposed to go. So that's a really good one. Um, and then, you know, it just depends. I mean, if you're wanting to get certified in anything, there's all kinds. I mean, there's only a handful that are usually nationally recognized and stuff. Um, the only textbook for a certification I've ever got was for uh, ACE. Um, but you can always, I mean, there's so many out there. If you just want one to have one, if it makes some people feel more comfortable, you can usually go spend like 100, 200 bucks and go take a class at a testing center. And all you got to do is take a test. And as long as you pass with like usually like a 70%, you get your damn certification even if it's from somewhere no one's ever heard of. Um, I've only one time ever had somebody who didn't pick me up as a coach because I didn't have a certification. I don't have a single one in anything. I don't plan to get one in anything simply because I haven't needed one. And a lot of times it's just to have something on paper that says, hey, I know this. Um, same thing with half the damn degrees out there people get. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the times I've had the jobs I've had, I... I didn't have the degree requirements, but because of my history and my background from work, I've gotten the jobs regardless. So, you know, I mean, unless you're wanting to be a lawyer or a doctor or something, a lot of the times you don't need stuff. Yeah, that's a whole conversation within itself, degrees and certifications yeah. and not being a mic. <laughs> one of our first podcasts was experience versus education, and that was, that was a good one, and it's some people, if you're not educated, they're not going to work with you. Other people, hundred percent, don't have experience. Yeah, it's just you got to find two who can click with you and who is whoever is going to trust you. That's that's the clientele you gotta gotta be able to go with. And the thing is, I've and met some CSCS people that are geniuses, very smart. I've met some CSCS people that don't know crap. And just, I mean, this is something I got asked the other day too, and I had a whole conversation about was. Just because somebody's a good athlete isn't going to make them a good coach. Um, and I don't expect, you know, I don't think coaches have to, to be a good coach, I don't think you have to have competed on a certain level or anything. Because um, you just have to have a good understanding and a way to apply it. Um, that was part of the reason I did so well in sales, too, because I could explain stuff different ways to different people. So a lot of people, they're just stuck on this is the one way they know and this is how they're going to explain something. Well, just because it makes sense to one of you doesn't mean it's going to make sense to the other person. Um, you can look at deadlift cues, tell someone, oh, you just just pick the bar up or stand up with it. Well, eight out of ten times when somebody doesn't understand that, instead of telling them something like that, tell them drive your heels through the floor. Think like you're trying to drive through the floor. All of a sudden, something switches. Boom. 
there's a whole other thing. You always hear everybody in a meet when somebody's trying to deadlift, they're like, hips, hips. Nine times out of ten, it's not their hips. Tell them to squeeze their butt. <laughs> when that bar starts coming past your knees, you need to start, those glutes need to start getting engaged. And the quicker you engage those glutes, that bar is going to, your hips are going to drive through on their own, and that bar is going to fly up. And if your hips, if your glutes are completely fully engaged, it is physically impossible for you to hyperextend on anything either. So then you get into that. I mean, you get into a whole other thing with that, but it's just you got to learn to be able to explain stuff different ways. And just because someone's good at something doesn't mean they're going to be a good coach. And yeah, I, always, I just I think somebody. I think you should have an understanding to a certain level about something. You know, I'm not going to pick a bodybuilding coach who's one never competed in bodybuilding, or two doesn't look like they work out either. No, it's like you, you def like it, obviously muscle doesn't um, give you credibility, but I'd rather have a jack doctor than a fat doctor. Yeah, ten times out of ten. But yeah, especially it, when they're trying to tell you what you're doing is not healthy. Yeah, you're like, okay, well, what you're doing isn't healthy either. So how would you chill out? <laughs> One of the things that makes me so mad is there's so many different conversations that can come out from a podcast like this. Like, there's so many different things that it could be another hour-long podcast or another hour-long podcast. And I think that that's yeah. one of the things that this is supposed to be, like, a catalyst for conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, like, from things that we said, like, go look into it on your own. Um, just try to experience different things because um, what I'm going to say, what Colton's going to say, what Eugene's going to say isn't the end-all, be-all. But there's a lot of knowledge in what is to be said. And that's the thing is, like, just because you say it or we say it doesn't mean people should listen to us like at the end of the day they're responsible for what they believe and what they put out themselves not because oh i heard on a podcast and the student has three and in a state record i'm gonna listen to everything that he says like no like question what you say i was like it worked for you so it worked for you but just because you said it doesn't mean it's 100 factually true for everyone else they have to make their own decisions that's what we said from the beginning with the podcast is like just because we say it don't believe us like if you're going to believe us make sure you study yourself come to that conclusion and then agree with us don't just follow our lead. i don't have a single athlete i coach now who i can program how i used to be programmed it just it doesn't work especially like uh antonio the guy i was mentioning who's you know pulling 780 and all this I have never had to program an athlete like I've had to program him, ever. And we're getting ready to try a whole new training. So I'm actually working on his program this week because we got to get him ready for nationals next year. And I'm just like, dude, we got to try something completely new. Like his other lifts are moving, but his bench is just not as much as the other two. And he's strong. It's just like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to try this. And I'm like, if you got to just give me time. <laughs> and he trusts me, and I'm the first coach he's ever had. Um, he got to, you know, setting his own state records, and he was already, you know, squatting well over five, benching close to four, and he was pulling seven without a coach. And just this I'm just man. like, yeah. And I'm just like, hey, man, I, I've never had to program somebody like this before. I said, so it's going to take some trial and error to find what's going to work. So we found what works on his squats, and we've got some really good work on his bench, or on his deadlift, but his his bench is something I'm having to try stuff I've never had to program an athlete for, and I'm thankful that he's trusting enough, and he's like, well, I'm still seeing progress. 
you know, maybe not as much as he would like in some cases, but it's like we're trying to find the one that's going to work for him. And it just it takes time, and it gets frustrating even as a coach sometimes. And if I didn't think I had a possibility to help him, I'd send him off. I got someone else I know who would help him. Well, dude, I appreciate it. You got a lot, you got a lot of knowledge. Um, I wish we could talk a lot more. Um, and if you're ever back in the area, like Warsaw area, we'll get a lift in a haymaker. Yeah, a we'll have to, we'll have to come down and we can train with you down in Indy next time we're, next time we're down. But, um, uh, real quick, I, how, I always how say hit a squat workout. <laughs> hey, there it is. What, uh, how can people find you? Instagram, your online, your website, how can people find you first class muscle, things like that? Yeah. Um, can simply search. I'm going to start using it again. The like page it's on Facebook is first class fitness and motivation. Uh, website is firstclasscoaching.net. So those two are probably the best ways to reach me. Well, we appreciate you meeting with us. I know it was, well, I texted you like 20 minutes before we, just before we decided to do a podcast, but I know we've been planning this for a while. So I'm glad we could finally yeah. make it work. Awesome. Well, thanks, no, I appreciate you, man. This has been the Pre-Professional Podcast. Don't forget to like and share. We'll see you next time.